Have you ever thought about how small pharmaceutical companies begin? Today, we will be talking with someone who has taken his childhood fascination with marine life and helped to start a company. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Dr. Voldemero Oliveira. Dr. Oliveira has studied with such luminaries as Norman Davidson at Caltech and I.R. Lehman at Stanford. He is now a distinguished professor of biology at the University of Utah. He has started a pharmaceutical company called Cognetics to continue the development of conopeptide compounds. Welcome to ReachMD. Very happy to be here. This is really such an interesting story, Dr. Oliveira. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey from finding sea snails in the Philippines to starting a new pharmaceutical company? I'd be very happy to. So I have been very lucky in that I started a hobby when I was a kid and collected shells in the Philippines. And then I did graduate work and did a postdoc uh, here in the U.S. and tried to return to the Philippines to do research. And as a result of going back to the Philippines, we started working on the venoms of cone snails. And the reason was that we really didn't have any equipment when we, we started doing research in the Philippines, and it was possible to begin a biochemical project on working on the venoms of cone snails. And so what we did was we began to isolate all of these components of these venoms, and they proved to be really quite interesting, especially for the field of neurobiology. So a few years later, what turned out was that the components of these snail venoms were very specific pharmaceutical agents for molecular components in nervous systems called ion channels or receptors. And because they were so specific, they became very, very useful to people working in neuroscience. And uh, a lot of basic researchers started using them and would work in their labs to understand the nervous system using these components that had been uh, characterized from cone snail venoms. Because of uh, the work in our lab combined with the work by our collaborators who are neurobiologists, it became obvious that some of them might have some therapeutic activity. And one component in particular looked very, very promising because it was unique. And so at the time, uh, there was a small biotech company in California that took this one component that had been isolated in our lab, and they tried to develop it as a therapeutic and eventually succeeded. The company was called Neurex, and once they were able to show that this compound might be useful for pain, uh, what happened was they got bought out by a larger company, uh, Elan Pharmaceuticals, and so what eventually resulted was a commercial drug, uh, which today is called Prealt, which is used uh, when morphine no longer works well. Now, what happened was that we had never patented that compound ourselves, and so once the university realized that there might be some applications of our research, what they did was they put us in touch with some businessmen who were starting biotech companies at the time. And so 
I guess it's a fairly standard arrangement. The business group and the scientists get together, so there were four of us on the faculty of the University of Utah, and uh, there was a business group that the university introduced us to, and they said, why don't you guys start a biotech company? So that's how Cognetics began. It was actually the University of Utah that, that initiated are getting together with with the businessmen. And so the thinking was there are so many different types of these very specific conopeptides. One turned out to be a good medicine that perhaps there are more to come? That's exactly right. Because there was already a demonstrable success, and that was only one out of the 100 components in that particular venom. And there are, it turns out, 500 to 700 different venomous cone snails, and each venom has 100 or so components, then it looked like the potential was fantastic because this meant that uh, we were exploring a pharmaceutical resource that had perhaps 100,000 different peptides. And so the thought was, well, why don't we look at the commercial possibilities there? And it really seemed like an exciting idea at the time. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is the 2007 Harvard Foundation Scientist of the Year, Dr. Baldomero Oliveira. We are discussing how his childhood passion of shells has turned into a potentially rich pipeline of new medications. Now, Dr. Oliveira, how was it for you being, you know, really such an eminent scientist now having to deal in the business world? Well, Fortunately for us, the business group that the university essentially conjoined us to had a lot of experience in starting biotech companies. So we didn't have to worry too much about either the business details or the legal details, which was very nice. So we really remained academic scientists. We actually just continued doing our research. And at the beginning, when the biotech company was trying to raise money, our major role was to do a little, you know, show-and-tell type presentation to potential investors. And so that was the main thing that we did early on. And then finally, when the initial funding was raised and there was now a company in operation, then we helped out in trying to recruit the scientists and the other people who, who were going to be personnel in this biotech company. So our druthers were always uh, to remain academic scientists and to leave the, the business and legal parts of the biotech company to the business guys. So kind of separation of church and state, as it were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's happening with this company now? Well, it's a lesson in how difficult the biotech world is these days, because when we got started, biotech was very easy to fund, and there were lots of investors who wanted to put their money into the biotechnology industry. But basically, the bubble burst a few years ago, and so now it's it's very much harder to get financing. And so the company had succeeded in getting a few of these compounds into human clinical trials, and the data looked really very good. But the main problem has been that they were able to get two of the compounds into uh, phase one human clinical trials. But after the collapse of sort of venture capital for biotech, it became almost impossible to get financing for bringing a compound from phase one to phase two clinical trials. 
So once you're able to show that you have successful phase two clinical trials, apparently there are lots of investors who are willing to put the money in and and big pharmaceutical companies are interested in that. But in order to get a compound from phase one to phase two has really been a challenge to get funding for. And unfortunately, the biotech company that we're involved with got caught in this change in the financial world. And so it just hasn't been able to raise uh, enough capital to be able to continue moving these compounds forward. So I think this part of the industry is really having a hard time right now. So maybe somebody listening out there can write a big check. Uh, (laughs) That would be great. (laughs) How much money, you know, roughly would it take to get a compound from phase one to phase two? I would say that to play safe, one probably wants the order of 10 to 20 million dollars uh, for most compounds, and and that's for a pain trial, which is relatively cheap. We had another compound that looked really very promising that was useful for myocardial infarctions, and that looked great. I mean, the preclinical data, the animal models all looked great, but there what's required is is to actually show in the clinical trials that you have reduced fatalities during a heart attack. And in that particular case, the the total package to bring a drug to market is apparently well over uh, $800 million. And I think the last 10 drugs have all failed. So that one, nobody wanted to touch at all (laughs) because because the clinical development is so expensive, no matter how good the data looks. So I think there are all of these types of considerations that I had never realized as a you know, basic researcher, but uh, in fact, bringing a drug from from the basic research stage to the point where it becomes a really important clinical candidate uh, is a real challenge these days. But what remains is you have, what, thousands of these conopeptides sitting on the shelf, huh? That's correct, yes. And in an increasing number of cases, we have pretty good preclinical data showing that in animal models, at least, that there certainly are therapeutic applications out there. And so, who knows? Maybe the financial world will turn once again, and it'll be easy to fund biotech endeavors of this type, and uh, maybe we can bring more of them to market. But uh, right now, I think it really is a challenge. And, And the main challenge isn't scientific. It's really financial. We're kind of opposite ends of the same world here, but I'm a practicing clinician, and and we always complain about the fact that, you know, it's seldom that we see a a really new medication, that it seems like so many of the medicines that are released now are are just me-too drugs or isomer or extended release or something of a compound that we already have, yet there's this potential goldmine of new, completely novel compounds sitting on the shelf just because nobody's writing the check. That's right. And just to give you some idea, for pain, the work on conus peptide so far, not just our work, but a couple of Australian groups as well, has shown, I would say, five new mechanisms for which you get analgesic effects in a non-opioid mechanism. And, you know, clinicians always uh, are hoping for to be able to relieve pain without having to use opioids, which, of course, have, have all kinds of side effects that are undesirable. And, you know, the work on CONUS has, I think, uncovered five different mechanisms. Uh, And yet it's very difficult to get funding to move these forward. I think 
it is a reality of the biotech world these days. Well, again, anyone listening that has an extra $100 million or so to spare, it's Oliveira, O-L-I-V-E-R-A, at the University of Utah. Well, thanks a lot for the plug. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Let me know how it works. I want to cut, okay? <laughs> well, thank you so much. In all seriousness, Dr. Baldomero Oliveira has been studying sea snail venom and has a potential goldmine of novel compounds sitting waiting for some financial backing to progress into clinical trials. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.